Uh, let us go before the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come again to worship your holy name. We come again by the merits of your Son, Jesus Christ, who redeemed us from this evil age and gave us his righteousness. We thank you, Lord, for the gospel of grace. We thank you, Lord, that Christ actually accomplished it. And we thank you, Lord, that we shall not come into judgment as to be condemned, but as to be vindicated because of the righteousness of Christ. We thank you, Lord, for the words that you have given us this morning to share with your people. And we just ask that you may open us by your spirit and give us ears to hear that we may hear what says the Lord. We thank you. We praise you. And we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You were probably thinking that we would be back in John 12, but we are not. I went into John chapter 12 during the week trying to prepare it, and it was still dry for me. The Lord had not opened anything. So I decided to go back to Ahimelech and David. But I love Ahimelech and David, and the Lord gave me plenty of teaching from there. Later on, as the week progressed, I went back to John 12, and I got the nuggets that I needed to open it. Because you have to have certain keys, and if that fundamental key is not opened, you read the story and nothing will come out. You look at it, and you're thinking, well, that is not enough. For 15 minutes. <laughs> so the Lord has to open. He has to open. Otherwise, it's just a story. But we have some very glorious teaching from John 12 now. I am yet to finish it, but we have something that would bless your hearts when you get to hear it. I decided to go back to First Samuel 21 and talk again about David and do part three because... Part three is actually the reason why I'd gone there in the first place. And I thought that I would be able to get to it with the first teaching. And then as we continued to go into the teaching, I realized it could not be done in the first teaching. So I had to cut it out. And then I went for the second teaching, hoping to get to it. And it did not happen either. So I had to cut it out. So we are back to finish off the remainder of the story of David and Ahimelech and try to draw the gospel from it. And we are going to read the whole chapter for context of 1 Samuel 21, verses 1 to 15. And it is recorded for us and says, Now David came to Nob, to Ahimelech the priest, and Ahimelech was afraid when he met David and said to him, why are you alone and no one is with you? So David said to Ahimelech the priest, The king has ordered me on some business and said to me, Do not let anyone know anything about the business on which I send you or what I have commanded you. And I have directed my young man to such and such a place. Now therefore, what have you on hand? Give me five loaves of bread in my hand or whatever can be found. And the priest answered David and said, There's no common bread on hand, but there's holy bread 
if the young men have at least kept themselves from women. Then David answered the priest and said to him, Truly women have been kept from us about three days since I came out, and the vessels of the young men are holy, and the bread is in fact common, even though it was sanctified in the vessel this day. So the priest gave him holy bread, for there was no bread there but the showbread, which had been taken from before the Lord, in order to put hot bread in its place on the day when it was taken away. Now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord, and his name was Doeg, an Edomite, the chief of the headsmen who belonged to Saul. And David said to Ahimelech, Is there not here on hand a spear or a sword? For I have brought neither my sword nor my weapons with me, because the king's business required haste. So the priest said, The sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elad, there it is, wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you would take that, take it, for there is no other except that one here. And David said, There is none like it. Give it to me. Then David arose and fled that day from before Saul and went to Achish the king of Gath. And the servants of Achish said to him, Is this not David the king of the land? Did they not sing of him to one another in dances, saying, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands? Now David took these words to heart and was very much afraid of Achish the king of Gath. So he changed his behavior before them feigned madness in their hands, scratched on the doors of the gate, and let his saliva fall down on his beard. Then Achish said to his servants, Look, you see the man is insane. Why have you brought him to me? Have I need of madmen that you have brought this fellow to play the madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? The word of the Lord. And we have a lot of titles probably more than we've ever had. One title is, If I Need of Madmen. <laughs> if I Need of Madmen. And the second title is, Shall this fellow come into my house? Shall this fellow come into my house? Number three, the foolishness of preaching. The foolishness of preaching. And number four, Saliva and the gospel of grace. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's in there. <laughs> you're gonna, you're gonna find it. And I pray the Lord will bless you greatly and you understand why I was keen on this part of the story. It has always been God's way of hiding and concealing things from people. God has always hid things from people. And this aspect of God is not well known in the church. It is not accepted. And so you find that the majority of the teaching in the church is that God wants everyone to know Jesus and that he wants all men to be saved. But what is preventing men from choosing Christ, they argue, is that they are failing, that men are failing to exercise their free will. So they bring everything about salvation to men and their free will. And by that they are saying, 
men have the power that they naturally possess or that God has given all men that power and ability, all men without exception, to invite Jesus and make him something. And then in the process, they will be served. And these people, they fail to interact with the full counsel of the word of God. They fail to interact with what God says on the matter of salvation. And so they speak of a gospel that leads on the broad way. And to make sure that they keep this pacifier in their mouths because it's a pacifier. And those of others, but they not only have this pacifier in their mouths, they want to stick that pacifier in the mouths of others. So they narrowly define God through the lens of love and only through John 3.16. And that interpretation, in the interpretation is divorced or is not connected with other scriptures in the same chapter, not connected with other scriptures in the same book of John and the overall testimony of scriptures that tell us exactly how salvation works. When you're talking about who Christ is, the identity of Christ, the nature of Christ, you have to go to the particular scriptures that clearly speak to his identity, like John chapter 1. You go to Hebrews chapter 1, you go to Colossians chapter 1, you go to Philippians chapter 2. And if you are talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 to 14. And if you are talking about the purpose of salvation, you go to Ephesians chapter 1, you go to Romans 9. When you are working on justification, on the doctrine of justification, you go to Romans 2, to chapter 4, but of course, this is a doctrine that is taught in a lot of places in the scriptures. Of course, you can also go to the book of Galatians. If you are talking about the priesthood of Christ, you run to the book of Hebrews. And so, when we are talking about particular aspects of salvation, we have to go to these areas where God has clearly spelled out how things actually work. And so God has supplied clear teaching on every doctrine that pertains to the identity of Christ and also to our salvation. But there's a problem. And the problem is that sinners do not agree with that teaching. They do not approve of God's way of doing things. They want things done the beggar king way, have it your way. I want my double whopper, which is no mayo, extra ketchup, light on the lettuce. Do it your way. And they think this do it your way gospel is the gospel that God is going to accept. That's not the righteousness that God is going to accept. So they want to draw conclusions from verses that do not speak about salvation or they outright deny the teaching of scripture for the sake of their tradition and their traditions everywhere. Even in the sovereign grace camp, there are traditions of men. And that is why there's no unity of doctrine. There's no unity on regeneration. 
churches are splitting on regeneration alone. If contested, who does what in regeneration? Imputation is contested. And people are breaking fellowship on imputation. Justification is contested. How and the timing of it. When were we justified? The nature of the believer is contested. Does the believer have two natures, one nature, three natures? Eschatology is contested. Pre-mill, post-mill, amill, you name it. Traditions. And when Jesus showed up, he was battling with traditions. And he said to the Jews, you make the word of God of none effect by your traditions. And such things you do. And the Jews were like, take him, troublemaker. We got to kill this guy. We have to kill him because he's making us to look bad. So I may get killed in the process if I make someone look bad. Hopefully not. But the underlying assumption in the church world is that since God is love and all love, he wants all men to be saved. And since he wants all men to be saved, he has given all men ability to make a choice for him. Otherwise, to their way of thinking, it would be unfair for him to ask men to do something that they can't do. So if one is not saved, it cannot be because of anything that God did himself. It has to be the person who resisted and somehow overpowered God in what God wanted to do. So the man becomes the omnipotent one. And God becomes a victim of man's power. <laughs> but my question is, why even cause man to make a choice for Christ when some men will fail to make the choice even though they have the ability? If God desires to save everyone, why even requiring them to come to Christ? Why not just say, it's all good. Let's stop there. Why does God require some to cash in their checks and buying the ticket to go to heaven whilst others are failing to exercise that power? There isn't anything hard. If you want to cash your check and you need transportation, you talk to me, I'll drive you. You can cash it in, you can cash it in Maya. What is important about the sinner having to believe the gospel then? And this is the question that I direct to them. What is important about the sinner having to believe the gospel? And the answer is, because God is a gentleman with a tuxedo, he wants a relationship, he won't force himself on anyone. <laughs> he wants to have a date with you. He will open the limousine door for you. He will not sneeze. And he will not even spit in the public. He's such a gentleman. And, and this is such a sentimentalized version of God. And that is the God that is being preached even right now as I'm talking. So what is happening? They have reduced the truth of God to a lie. They have reduced the truth of God to a lie. Romans 1 Go with me, Romans 1, 18 to 25. Apostle Paul records and says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. Why, Paul? Against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. 
suppression of the truth in unrighteousness. So how are they doing that, Paul? Because, verse 19, what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. He has. There's no argument. God has already shown it to them. How? Verse 20, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen. They're clearly seen. Being understood by the things that are made. Even his eternal power and Godhead so that they are without excuse. And Paul is saying, if you are seeing anything, it condemns you because it tells you that God exists. Your very own existence condemns you because it's evidence that he exists. Because you don't exist without him. Verse 21, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. So because of the darkening of their foolish hearts, what did they begin to do, Paul? Verse 22, professing to be wise, (laughs) they began to think that they are wise. They became fools. And the fool says in the heart, there's no God. The Bible does not say the fool does not have a degree. It doesn't say the fool did not go to school. It says the fool is the one who denies that there's God. That's the fool. The fool is not one who makes a bad investment and loses their money. The fool is the one who denies that God exists. So what did they do because of their foolishness? Verse 23 and change the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible men and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanliness in the last of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for the lie. So when you have exchanged the truth of God for a lie, you begin to be all these things and see that they don't choose to become these things. It's God who gives them over to do these things. So even the things that you end up doing in the light of your foolishness, you don't even have power to determine that. He tells you what to do in that foolishness. That's sovereignty. So he gave them over. (laughs) So all the dishonoring of the body that you see people do, the prostitution and all those kind of things, homosexuality, all those things, it's God who gives men over to that. Why? Because they deny the truth. So he says, they worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator. They became tree huggers. They became tree huggers. I love trees. They are all about animals. They'll cry over a dead lion, but they won't cry over a dead baby. It's exchanging the truth of God for a lie. So they are serving, they are worshipping and serving the creature, the created things, rather than God himself, who is blessed forever. So the whole world is in Romans 1. Suppressing the truth in unrighteousness, they are futile in their thoughts, their foolish hearts are darkened, That is all saying kindly that men are insane by nature. Unless God gives them a new birth. 
to believe the truth. And that is why Jesus will come and say, unless you're born again, you no way see the kingdom of God. So the theology that is being taught in the church has exchanged the truth of God for the lie and it is designed to serve the glory of the creature rather than the glory of the creator who is blessed forever. So the free will gospel is a doctrine that serves the ego of fallen man. It is the teaching of the serpent to say, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, of the tree, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil, just making your own decisions about life and death, about salvation, about eternity. That's all in your hands now. You just be thinking like God. Just eat it. You have the power. You can do it. You can even print t-shirts. And that gospel, that teaching, that thinking, that philosophy denies that a sinner is dead and powerless and is unwilling to come to Christ by themselves. There's no sinner who can come to Christ by themselves. Impossible. Never happened anywhere. Free will denies the need of regeneration. Jesus said you must be born again to see, to enter the kingdom of God. To receive Christ, you have to be born again. Jesus did not say anywhere, you must choose Jesus to enter the kingdom of God. No, he said you must be born again, born anew by the same person who gave you the first birth as a human being, God himself. The teaching of the new birth, Jesus is saying, man as man as they exist, they exist because it's God who created them. And if they have to see the kingdom of God in the light of the fall, in the light of sin, death, and condemnation, it is God alone who has to come and give them another birth. He has to come and do a second work of recreation. And that is why the believer is called the new creation. We are a new creation in Christ. How? Because it's God who is recreating us after Christ, after the image of Christ, in righteousness and holiness. So in John 1, verse 12 to 13, John begins and says, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. So the receiving of Christ is believing in his name. And this is the only way that you become children of God. But how did they become children of God? How were they able to receive him? They were born. They had to be born. Who were born, verse 18, who were born not of blood, which means this was not running in the family. Because salvation is not a trust. You don't hand it over from one person to the next person. We have the same last name. Not of blood. It's not because of the race of any particular group of people. It's not about anything to do with man. It's not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man. So it has nothing to do with what men do or don't do, but of God. So that is a sovereignty statement. God has to do it. If one is not born again of God, they are not saved and will not receive the truth of Christ. 
they will not make Christ their own righteousness. But not being born again, we will not stop them from being religious. They continue to be religious even as they are hugging the trees. They continue to be religious. Even as they are talking about the right of the woman to do whatever she wants with their body to abort as many babies as they can, they continue to be religious. It will not stop them from trying to be around Jesus, trying to sound like they are representatives of Christ in some way. They will continue to be around Jesus, pushing and shoving around Jesus, but never touching Jesus. Doing things in the name of Jesus, even wonderful things in his name, but still denying the truth of Christ. But the gospel story did not show up. It did not begin from yesterday when you and I showed up. The gospel is the story of Christ and is about the glory of God in him. And this glory of Christ is manifested. It's made known in salvation. It is made known in the revelation of Christ to some and in the hardening of others. God does not reveal himself to all men. And the scriptures testify of that. You can't study your way into Jesus. The Jews tried it, but it did not work. Jesus came and said to them, in John 5.39, you search the scriptures, you look to the scriptures, because you think in them you have eternal life, but it is they that testify of me. You are burning your candles, studying diligently. Jesus did not say, oh, your study is bad. He actually was in a negative way, really appreciating the effort. Like, on that one, I'll give you an A, you are diligent. You are so diligent in studying, but guess what? You're missing the point. They testify of me. So if you don't find me in your diligent study, you've missed the point. It's a waste of time. <laughs> There's none who says, my life is boring. I'm going to try Jesus. Trying Jesus like there's some new soft drink. Try Jesus like a pair of Jesus shoes. Test drive Jesus like a car to see how well he handles the potholes and rough edges of life. Maybe put some soft ride, soft ride suspension <laughs> on the road of life with the name of Jesus. Try Jesus and domesticate him, make him docile, make him a vending machine of free goods by just placing the Jesus coin in the vending machine. I have my Jesus coin. The name of Jesus becomes some natural cure, some non-GMO food. And that is all changing the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible men and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. The truth of the matter, as far as the gospel is concerned, is this as was described by Jesus in Matthew 13. We're going to go to Matthew 13, verses 10 to 17. Matthew records for us and says, And the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And this was after the Lord had spoken about the parable of the soils, the wayside, the stony places, the thorns, and the good ground. And those who heard that parable 
they thought, well, this is about some best agricultural practices. This is telling me about how to plant my seed, how to grow my tomatoes, <laughs> my vegetables. But no, the Lord was hiding the gospel truth from them. Verse 11, he answered and said to them, because it has been given to you to do what? To know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them, it has not been given. Two groups of people. What Jesus? What are you talking about? I thought you meant to say God loves everyone. And he would give everyone the manual to understand the truth. And he wants to save every man. So why then are you hiding things from other people? And preventing them from being saved and making heaven such a fun place for everyone and even for you. That's not fair, Jesus. That's not very nice to say, Jesus. And this is not a message that fills the stadium. And very few who say amen to this. And many people will say, I, I just do not understand that. No, they understand what is being said. They just don't like it. It is not a warm and fuzzy message. <laughs> it is not a message they expect from a Jesus who is in the manger. Because we are in the manger season. This is not the Jesus that they know of. They know a baby Jesus or they love a baby Jesus with a sippy cup. A, a vulnerable baby Jesus who can be carried around in a stroller. With some toys. But some will say. Well that's just your opinion. That's just your opinion. God loves everyone. No. That is what you guys think. That's not what Jesus thinks. No. We have to hear what Jesus thinks. But by the way. Jesus does not think. When we say to someone that you don't think. That's bad. <laughs> we are saying you are foolish. You are failing to make some proper judgments of the things, the data, the information that you have. You are failing to make the proper judgment. So you don't think. But when it comes to Christ, he is God and he does not think because he's God. Because to think is creaturely and it means one is trying to evaluate the best option among many alternatives. But no, God already knows all things. He works all things according to his purpose, according to his will. God does not think. He only declares his mind, his purpose, his will. And so, according to Jesus, to some it has been given them to know the mysteries or secrets of the kingdom of heaven. They were not even looking for it. We were not looking to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. It was granted us freely by grace. But to them, to others, it has not been given. Given means granted. It's not been granted to them to know. But granted by who? By their mother? By their father? No, by God himself. It has to be granted by God himself if you have to know the truth of Christ. First of for whoever has to him, more will be given and he will have abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. 
If you have more of the gospel, more shall be given. And if you have little, God will make sure to take that little away from you and give you over to foolish things. I'll give you an example. If you have little money in the bank and you have a bad account, one of those accounts that are bad, it will all be eaten up by bank fees and charges. Unless if you have some free checking account that allows you to keep zero balance without any penalty. But there are some accounts where you have to pay to maintain the account. So if, say, you have 20 bucks or 25 bucks in there, they continue charging the fees to maintain that account until there's nothing there. But if you have money, if you have, say, 5,000, 10,000, 15,000, you're actually going to be any interest. So your money is growing, but if you're on the other end of the spectrum, you're actually losing money. <laughs> so Jesus is saying, if you have more, more shall continue to be given you. If you have little, whatever little bit you have is going to be eaten away by the bank fees. <laughs> but when the little that you have has been taken away, you don't stop coming to church. You continue to be religious. You continue to mix and match Jesus with a lot of worldly stuff as you can bring and thinking that by that you are improving your approval before God. You begin to find righteousness in things that don't have righteousness in them. You create righteousness in things that do not have righteousness in them. You create righteousness in food. You create righteousness in what you wear. You create righteousness in what you watch. Everything you begin to create righteousness in them. And this is not a new problem. Hebrews 13.9, the writer of Hebrews says, not to be carried about with various and strange doctrines. Various and strange doctrines. For it is good that the heart be established by grace. That is, be established by the gospel and the righteousness of Christ. Not with foods which have not profited those who have been occupied with them. There are some people who can actually get so occupied with foods to the point that they think somehow they are commending themselves before God. But the foods that are being talked about, I don't think it's limited to just the physical food. It's the strange doctrines that are not the gospel. The strange doctrines that come to you trying to give you some confidence outside what Christ himself has accomplished. And initially, it actually feels so good. It's very attractive. Like, okay, I think this is so good. I am so spiritual. <laughs> I'm so spiritual. I'm feeling so spiritual today. <laughs> Apostle Paul comes in Colossians 2, speaking to the same items, the same doctrine. Colossians 2, 20-23. He says, Therefore, if you died with Christ, from the basic principles of the world, you see, those are the strange doctrines, the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourselves to regulations? And Apostle Paul there is also saying, we died to the law. And he calls the law the basic principles of the world. So why do you subject yourselves to regulations like, do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, 
which all concern things which perish with the using according to the commandments and doctrines of man as opposed to the commandments and doctrines of God. Listen to verse 23. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom. They appear to be wise. They appear to be righteous. In self-imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the body, but listen to this, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. They don't really help the flesh. Why? Because the flesh can't be improved. The flesh has to die. And then you get a glorified one. So you can't define your religion through the things of the flesh. You have to define your religion by the truth of Christ and what he accomplished. Why did the Holy Spirit write this? Because many are overtaken by the doctrines of men that profit nothing to those who get occupied with them. You actually get occupied. You see, when you have an occupation, I'm a chemist. My occupation requires that Monday through Friday, I get up every one of those days to go to work. Because that's my occupation. And when you've been occupied with the religion of men, you get up every morning and you're working. (laughs) You have an occupation of neglecting the body and just hammering the body and trying to make it conform to a righteousness that it is not able to and neglecting the righteousness of the gospel. But the Lord says, the Lord says, verse 18, this is going back to Matthew 13. But the Lord says, Therefore I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. So when you are one of those to whom hearing the truth of the mysteries of Christ has not been granted, Jesus says, you see but not see, hearing, but not perceive, no understanding. And what are you hearing? You are hearing the truth about God and salvation, but you are not believing and resting in that truth. So you keep hearing, but you're not resting in that truth. And that truth comes and is declared over and over, but you never come to the knowledge of the truth. You never Family, dock yourself to God's way of salvation. Always seeking spiritual satisfaction and assurance in things that are not what Christ did himself. But why Jesus? Why? Verse 14 and 15. And in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled which says, Hearing you hear and shall not understand, and seeing you see and not perceive. For the hearts of these people have grown dull, their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that I should heal them. Why, Jesus? I thought you gave all men ears to hear. I thought you desired for all to come to you. I thought you desired for all to choose you. I thought you wanted to give men their best life now. The purpose-driven life. I am so purposeful and very driven. (laughs) 
Jesus says, no, not that fast. I keep them hardened to receiving the truth. He does it. Because I do not want them to wake up from their slumber of the f- their foolishness. So that I will have to heal them. And that means save them. And so what else do you have to say about this Jesus? Matthew 11, 25-27 At that time Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and have revealed them to babes. But Jesus, that is not what to thank the Father for. Hiding truth from some people who just want to be saved is not anything to thank the Father for Jesus. And that can't be fair. And that's the thinking. And that's the reaction. But no, my friends, there's no man who is seeking to be saved. Because people will say, oh, there are people who actually genuinely are looking to be saved. And if you find one who is genuinely and seeking to be saved, it's because God is already drawing them. There's none who seeks after God. That's the testimony of the scriptures. God has hidden these things from the wise and the prudent. What things? What things were hidden? God is not playing hide and seek with men. (laughs) And hoping that someone may just find the gospel in the closet. What things are being hidden from men? The things of salvation. The things of how God saves sinners only by grace through faith alone. Through the finished work of Christ alone. They may appear obvious to us, but they are not that obvious. The majority of the world does not accept this. Why? Because it has been hidden from them. These things are hidden in the foolishness of the cross. God hides things by the instruments that he also chooses to bring the same message. So he hid this message in the foolishness of the humanity of Christ. That's where the foolishness begins. That's the foolishness of God. (laughs) But it is also the wisdom of God. The foolishness of the humanity of Christ coming in this lowly vessel as a man. God walking in the flesh. What? With just one pair of shoes, if at all. And the Jews begin to stumble at this vessel who has clothed himself with humanity and say, how is it that you, being a man, make yourself out to be God? Get some stones, let's turn him, and drive some foolishness out of him. And that is stumbling at the rock of offense. But these things have been revealed to the babes. But who are the babes? Are these the ones who are still suckling? Just all the babies go to St. Anne's Hospital and ask the babes if they know the ones who just been born. Oh, we have a new one here. <laughs> we go and ask Micah, can you give us a few lines of the gospel, brother? <laughs> are those the babies, the babes that Jesus is talking about? No, it's these ones who are the born again children of God. They are born again children of God. 
And when someone has been born again, they become like a babe because they possess nothing. They have to buy everything for Micah. They have to do everything for him. He's a babe. He does not have anything in his name. His birth certificate is not even out. That's a babe. So the ones who have been born again, they become babes before God because they realize that they have total dependence on Christ. They bring nothing before him. That's what Jesus is saying. And so Apostle Paul, we say in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. God has put this treasure of Christ in us earthen vessels that are good for nothing but to put down. And yet, he has put the treasure of the gospel in us. He has given us his Holy Spirit. And it is these who have been converted and have become like little children who are the babes, bringing nothing in their hands, having no confidence in the flesh. These who call all things dung and rubbish for the knowledge of Christ. So what do you have to say about this Jesus? Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. Wow. It pleased God to hide the truth about Christ in the gospel. It made God happy that some people are going about without the knowledge of salvation. It makes God happy. It seems so good. And Jesus says, oh, I'm going to take a moment and I'm going to praise you for that. <laughs> and that is a statement of God's sovereignty in salvation it pleased God to hide Christ from people and he has never stopped. He is still doing it, leaving people in the falsehood of their religion, in the falsehood of their church. Because men are not going to church to hear the truth about Christ. They are going to church for self-validation, to get some hug, just be hugging people, all these people with different kinds of perfumes and deodorants. Oh, wow, that smells good. That's what they're doing. Just go, they have this foyer, there's just so many people there. And it feels good. It just feels good to see a lot of people. Man, this is so good. But what did you hear about Christ? Zero. <laughs> Verse 27, Matthew 11, sorry, Matthew 11 still. All things have been delivered to me by my Father. Okay, so what has that to do with anything, Jesus? And no one knows the Son except the Father. No one. Nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. And I'm actually thinking that by that statement, Jesus is saying, even the angels do not know God the way that Jesus knows God. The angels do not know Christ the same way that the Father knows Christ. They have no capacity because they are created things to know who Christ is in his fullness. He says there's no one who has ability. And so if you're going to understand some little thing about him, even that little bit of understanding, it has to be given by him. So Jesus is saying, salvation is by the revelation of God. You can't look to the skies or the oceans and say, whoa, the ocean breeze, it is so nice and cool. I think I am going to find Jesus today. You can't study Jesus like math. You can't study Jesus like science. He has to be revealed 
Blessed are you, Simon, by Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. That is the teaching of Jesus. And that is the definition of blessing when Christ has been revealed to you. And God's way of salvation has been revealed to you. So Apostle Paul will say in Romans 9.16, So then it is not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. It is not of him who wills. It's not about your will. It's not about your determination. You can't will yourself to know Christ. He has to will to reveal himself to you. You can't run your way. You can't work your way into Christ. He has to come and reveal himself still. So what is the conclusion of the matter? Jesus, going to Matthew 13, verse 16. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. And you see that when Jesus talks about blessing, it's always in the context of spiritual things. It's never in the context of physical things. Never anything to do with the matters of this life, the day-to-day things. Or blessed are you for you are going to get a 2017 Chevy truck. That's not the teaching of Jesus. Blessed are you because your eyes see the truth. (laughs) For assuredly, I say to you, That many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Many prophets of old and righteous men, they desired to believe and hear and see Christ, but they did not get to see him as he appeared. So if you are hearing and you are perceiving and you are receiving and you are understanding and you are amening all these hard sayings, These are hard sayings. It is God who is at work in you, causing you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. And your ears are blessed because they hear. They are not plugged. They are not full of wax. Because anybody who does not hear the gospel, no matter how clean their ears are, they are still full of wax. They are dull of hearing. They can't hear the gospel. You are blessed Because if your ears can hear, it means salvation to you. It means you have been accepted by God. It means you are righteous before him. Otherwise, he would not let you to hear and receive that. And that means grace, grace, grace. God's grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. Grace has come because it takes grace. To receive grace. Grace that is greater. Yes, grace untold. And it always points to the refuge, the mighty cross. And that was the introduction. Now to first Psalm 21. We'll finish before he has to go to the airport. If not, I'll buy him a ground ticket. (laughs) Ground ticket all the way from Ohio to California. We'll see you in the new year. Hope not. (laughs) Now, is this gospel that we just said found in the book of Samuel, in the story of David and Saul? And the answer is yes. We can find it preached in that book and everywhere else. And we're going to begin 
in First Samuel 16. First Samuel 16, verse 6 to 13. So it was when they came that he looked at Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before me. And that was Samuel. That was Samuel. But the Lord said to Samuel, Samuel was presiding over the appointing of the man that God wanted to succeed Saul. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Thus Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel, and Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, Are all the young men here? Then he said, There remains yet the youngest, and there he is keeping the ship. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and bring him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy, with bright eyes and good looking. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. What is happening? Why, Lord, are you rejecting all these other men who seemed to be very fit? For the office, fit in stature and maturity, and taking this shepherd whose business was keeping shepherding the sheep of his father. Why this lowly last born of Jesse? Isaiah 53 1 to 3. Isaiah says, Who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness. And when we see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. You could not see Jesus Christ and say, that is going to be my friend. He is despised and rejected by man, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. We did not want to look at him. He was despised. And we did not esteem him. Jesus was not some Wesley Snipes, some Denzel Washington, Tom Cruise. Jesus was just a carpenter working his furniture. And that is the foolishness of the gospel. There's no man who chooses a carpenter for salvation. They only choose a carpenter or a plumber to fix their home remodeling project. David was anointed above his companions, above his brothers, in their presence. And that is Christ being anointed in the presence of the congregation. See me and the children that God gave to me. 
That's the book of Hebrews. This David, this sheep header, is he alone who could play the harp. Played so skillfully as to soothe the distressed spirit of Saul, this shepherd of the sheep. Not from Wall Street, not from Hollywood. He alone, by his skillful playing of the harp, brings peace to distressed souls. David alone could do that. And that is the foolishness of the cross. It's this lowly servant David who alone can bring peace to us who are distressed. But it is the same shepherd of the sheep who went to take down the giant Goliath. First Samuel 17, 8-9. Hear this. And then he, Goliath, stood and cried out to the armies of Israel and said to them, Why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and you, the servants of Saul, choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me? If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. Whoa, 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 whoa. Goliath, you got to slow down. Goliath, where did you get your understanding from? Goliath knows the gospel of substitutionary atonement. He says, choose for yourself a representative, a surety, and a mediator who will stand on your behalf to come down and fight against me and the battle will be decided out of the outcome of the fight between him and the men that represented them. He says that's what is going to determine everything. Just that battle. You pick your guy, you bring him to me, and we fight, and the outcome determines your salvation or slavery. <laughs> so what is that saying? You're standing before God was determined in the one who stood for you to fight against Goliath, your enemy. And this man had to come down to where Goliath was. <laughs> Goliath is not the one who goes to where the representative of Israel is. They have to appoint their own man and tell him, to come down to where Goliath is. Christ in the fullness of time is he who had to come down from heaven, born of a woman, that he may redeem those who were under the law to come to this world, to this wilderness, to this place where Goliath has dominion to take him down. The fight of salvation could not happen in heaven. Christ, the representative of his people, is the one who had to come to where Goliath was. Goliath knows some gospel. I'm telling you. Tell him to come to where I am. Then we'll fight. And the outcome of that fight determines eternity. You just watch. So this man, this representative, has to come to the wilderness to this place of the uncircumcised Philistines, that he may slew Goliath by fulfilling the righteous requirement of the law. So this person, this representative, is representing his people in everything to do 
with the taking down of Goliath. Because Goliath is the representative in his fullness of all the enemies of God's people. Everything that is against you is in Goliath. That is why he was such a monumental figure, six fingers. I mean, this guy is huge. So his teacher is saying, you by yourself, you have no power to overtake him. You have no power to kill him. If you go to fight with him, guess what? He overtakes you, you become his slave forever. But this one, when he came, he prevailed against Goliath and he made Goliath his servant and he even cut off his head. Remember, Goliath was promising to take captive of God's people forever if he would triumph over them. But no, Colossians 1, Colossians 2.15, Paul says, Christ disarmed principalities and powers. Wasn't Goliath disarmed by David? He was. Disarmed, Christ disarmed principalities and powers and he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. That is in the cross. So David, in a type, is he who disarmed the principalities and powers and made a public spectacle of them by slewing Goliath. Goliath was slewed when everybody was watching. A public spectacle and triumphing over Goliath by the sling and the stone. So the foolishness of the gospel is that righteousness and life is fought for in the representative person, Jesus Christ. You don't fight for your own standing before God. You fight in the person that God has chosen, elected to be your representative and mediator and surety. And so what is Goliath saying? Goliath is preaching gospel people. Goliath is saying that it is expedient that one man should die for you than for you all to try and fight me and you all perish. It's expedient that you pick one man and let him come and face off with me. And it sounds like the same teaching that we had two weeks ago. From John 11, 53, Caiaphas and his boys, they come and begin to make some statements and they think they're wise. And listen, this verse 49, and one of them, Caiaphas, being high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all. You guys, the chief priests and the Pharisees, you are foolish. Now, do you consider, have you thought about this, that it is expedient for us that one man, everybody's talking about the one man, that one man should do what? Die for the people and not that the whole nation should perish. And then John says, okay, uh, don't think Caiaphas was actually that smart. <laughs> he wasn't that smart. Let me tell you exactly what was happening. Verse 51. Now this he did not say on his own authority. But being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. Oh, by the way, it's God who is actually talking <laughs> through Caiaphas and God violating the free will of Caiaphas. And not for that nation only, but also that he would gather together in one the children of God who were scattered abroad. Then from that day on, they plotted to put him to death. So Goliath and Caiaphas, they understand this teaching very well. The teaching of the representation. Representation 
is God's way of salvation. But the church world does not understand that. The church world wants to go and fight by themselves. They understand that it is expedient that one man dies as the representative of the people so that in him, in this man, they all die and in him, they all resurrect and in him, they all live. But only those who are elect in him. And see something else. This fight is fought only by faith. It is fought in the name of the Lord. Goliath was taken down by the name of the Lord. David did not take the armor of Saul. He went by the simplicity of the sling and the stone and in the name of the Lord. And thus basically saying he went by faith. So the fight of salvation is not fought individually. It is only fought by the one who was appointed to it by the Father to fight for his people. But many are trying to elect themselves to stand against Goliath, working for their own law obedience, working for their own justification, making new covenants with God. But God does not honor that. He only honors the victory of the one that he appointed to the task. And so if we have to understand what is happening in salvation, we don't look to ourselves, we look to what happened in the ring, in the boxing ring. Jesus went into the boxing ring with Goliath, and who won? Did he won? Yes, he did. End of story. We are done. <laughs> First Samuel 17, 42 to 43. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him. First Samuel 17, 42, 43. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was only a youth, ruddy and good looking. So the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. This boy is just throwing out curses just like that. <laughs> you can imagine that. More than a sailor. <laughs> Goliath looks at David and he is not impressed by his military gear. <laughs> he is not impressed by his stature. He looks harmless. Some pretty little boy with baby formula on his face. He seems to use some very old-fashioned instruments of warfare. Sticks that cannot accomplish anything. Sticks that can just be broken. Are you serious? Are you fighting against a dog? <laughs> and that is the foolishness of the cross. Is God, is Christ slewing the devil, sin, death, the law, condemnation, by way of some sticks? According to Goliath, they were sticks, but they were the sticks of Christ. They were the sticks of the Christ who was raised on the cross. Yes, the son of David, Jesus Christ, has to be raised on two pieces of sticks. Raised up like the bronze serpent in the wilderness. Raised on the cross that he may draw all men to himself. That he may slew the seed of the serpent. Because Goliath also is the seed of the serpent. Yes, David is despised, is disdained because of his youth. And the Jews will say of Christ, you are not even 50 years old. And they say to mock him, you are just a little boy. 
You're not even 50 years old. How come you say you saw Abraham? But Jesus says, not so fast. Let me tell you something. Before Abraham was, I am. And that is the foolishness of the cross. Some sticks accomplishing a great deliverance. First Samuel 17, 48 to 51. So it was when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, that David hastened and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. Then David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone, and he slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead, so that the stone sank into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the, to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, and struck the Philistine and killed him, but there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore David ran and stood over the Philistine, took his sword and drew it out of his sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. Of course, I am running too. (laughs) And that's the simplicity of the cross, the sling and stone. That's a weak instrument for shooting down some birds, (laughs) not lions. You're not going to kill a lion with some sling and and stone. But it was... Not a carnal weapon. The weapon that David used was not a carnal weapon. It was the weapon of God. Mighty in God to take down strongholds. That was the power of God in the sling. And it is Christ the rock who was loaded in the sling. There was no aircraft carrier to launch Christ. No rocket launcher for David. No, just the sling and some very smooth stones were enough to take down Goliath. And every gospel preacher has to carry the sling of Christ and load it with the foolish stones of the gospel. Because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, it will take down some really big Goliaths, even those who used to oppose the gospel. They'll come down as long as Christ is loaded. Sin and condemnation are such great enemies that can only be taken down by the simplicity that is in Christ Jesus. And the gospel, according to the sling and the stone, is opposed to the ones who want to work for their salvation. And remember, Saul wanted David to work for his own salvation over Goliath by getting him up with his own armor, But the armor was not well-fitting. And David said, oh, no, I am not going to wear this stuff. It's heavy. I'm not used to it. I can't even walk in it. We are not going to do that. (laughs) Here is the simplicity of my warfare. I'm just going to go with faith in the name of the Lord and my stones and my nice sling. And I'm going to take this guy down. (laughs) No confidence in the flesh. No confidence in the flesh. And that will take us to part of the text in 1 Samuel 21. So we'll finish off there. 1 Samuel 21, 10 to 15. Then David arose and fled that day before Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. And the servants of Achish said to him, Is this not David, the king of the land? Did they not sing of him to one another in dances, saying, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands. Now David took these words to heart, and was very much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. 
So he changed his behavior before them, feigned madness in their hands, scratched on the doors of the gate, and let his saliva fall down on his beard. Then Achish said to his servants, Look, you see the man is insane. Why have you brought him to me? If I need of madmen, that you have brought this fellow to play the madman in my presence. Shall this fellow come into my house? David has given bread to his men. He has served his men who were hungry. They were dying of hunger on the Sabbath. He goes to Ahimelech, the priest, in the city of priests. And David asks for bread. Ahimelech gives David bread. David is from the tribe of Judah. He is not supposed to eat the bread, the show bread. This was only to be eaten according to the law by the sons of Levi, the priestly line. So in David coming to Ahimelech and asking for bread for his men who are hungry, who are in a type of sin and death situation, David is he who comes on their behalf to talk to the law as represented by Ahimelech and asking Ahimelech if he would provide the holy food that these guys could not come and ask for, number one. Number two, that they had no right to eat. So in Ahimelech granting permission to David, Ahimelech in a type was preaching the change of the law because in Christ the law was changed that we who were not Levites by nature would also have access to the holy bread that we had no right to eat. And David has fed his men, but there's some dude, Stan's friend, by the name of Doag, an informer who was in the company of Ahimelech. I don't know what business he had there, but the text says the Lord had detained him there. But he was one of, he was Saul's chief servant. And he is in, in the conversation. And he records everything on some recorder. <laughs> and he goes and spills the beans to Saul and says, guess what? I saw Ahimelech. And Ahimelech fed David with some bread. And Saul is mad. And so he wants Ahimelech to be killed. And so he calls for Ahimelech and all the priests. 85 priests, and they were all killed. And they were killed by Doeg. And the priests could not resist. They could not fight back because they did not have any means to fight back. They had the sword of Goliath, but that sword had been taken by David. And David, being the type of Christ, is he who takes the power to kill, to condemn from the law as represented by Ahimelech. Ahimelech is law. So the sword that has been taken from the hands of Ahimelech is David as Christ coming and removing the power of the law to kill and not only that, to continue. And so God preaches the gospel and says, well, Doeg has to take down all the priests. So all the priests have to be killed, signaling an end to the law. That's what is happening. So with all that having happened, David escapes to Gath to Achish, the king of Gath. And Gath is a Gentile territory. It is Philistine territory. And David 
has slewed Goliath. He has given bread to his men. He has brought the end to the law, but he continues to preach his gospel. Christ has slewed Goliath on the cross, and now he begins to preach his gospel, preaching the gospel even in Gentile territories. But the foolishness and offense of the cross does not stop in Israel. But you see, Israel is also stumbling at David through Saul. They want Saul to kill David. And so, the stumbling block of Christ continues beyond the borders of Israel into the Gentile territories. In Gath, David is despised in Israel and David is despised in the nation of Gentiles, Philistine. So the king of Gath says, look, you see the man is insane. Why have you brought him to me? Have I need of madmen that you have brought this fellow to play the madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? So David purposefully makes himself to look and sound insane. But his men, the men that are with David, know that he is not insane. Those who are born again know that the gospel is not foolishness. It is the power of God unto salvation. But not everyone. Some mock and others laugh. They do not want this Christ to come and play madman in their presence. They will not let this insane gospel come to their house. David has to wear a baby bib because he's slobbering over himself, <laughs> over his beard, is slobber. <laughs> he, he looks like a madman, and this is he who has to be the king of Israel, and he's slobbering. This one who shall always have a son on the throne of David is he who is slobbering. It is this one who holds all the promises coming from Abraham. They are in David, this one who is slobber. <laughs> But the Gentiles, when they heard that David was there, when they heard that the gospel was there, they rejected him. Look, you see, the man is insane. Why have you brought him to me? If I need of madman that you have brought this fellow, this Christ, to play the madman in my presence, shall this fellow come into my house? Shall this fellow come into me to save me? I want nothing to do with Jesus. Why? That's foolishness. The gospel, according to David, draws. It is slobber. It is saliva. It is insanity to the wise. It's insanity to the prudent. Remember what Jesus said. The gospel is revealed. Christ is revealed to the babes. But to the wise, these things are hidden. How are they hidden? They are hidden in the slobbering of David. They look at the slobber. They're like, this guy is insane. I don't have to listen to anything that he has to say. And that's Christ and him crucified being a stumbling block. And we see this expounded as we finish by Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 1. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 17 to 25. Apostle Paul says, For Christ did not send me, to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are patient, 
But remember, friends, when David becomes king, he comes and destroys these guys. It's David who was defeating the Philistines like crazy. <laughs> it's foolishness to those who are perishing. The king of Gath, this was a good time to be friends with David. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer, the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom, through their own wisdom, did not know God. The king of Gath did not know David through his own wisdom. He looked at David. He saw a madman. He saw insanity. He saw slobber. And it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block. David was a stumbling block to the Jews and to the Philistines representing all the Gentiles foolishness. To the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. <laughs> but who are the called by David? Who are the called? Remember those who ran to David in First Samuel 22. There are people who ran to David. Listen to First Samuel 22 verse 1 and 2. David therefore departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. This is David departing from where he got the bread Departing from Nob, where he got bread from Ahimelech. And when his brothers and all his father's house had it, they went down there with him. And everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was discontented gathered to him. So he became captain over them. And there were about 400 men with him because the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. Those who were the cord, they went with David. The cord knew who David was. And they ran to him. And they sought refuge with him. But David was foolishness to everybody else. And that is the offense of Christ. He appears like a madman to the wisdom of the world. He is despised of men. He is a cursed man, a very insane man. The Jews say to him, Do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? They said that to Jesus. Jesus was a cursed man to the Jews. Cursed is everyone hung on a tree. And for being weak and foolish, this is what the Gentiles saw. The Gentiles saw that Jesus was foolish. The gospel is foolishness. Because the Gentiles could only see the slobber, could only see the saliva on his beard and think, what a useless man who is being hung on a tree. But it is this one who slew his tens of thousands. But David's people, they knew him 
and followed him in spite of his feigned madness. And those who know our David, Jesus Christ, they still follow him, even if to many he appears to be drooling and crazy. That is the offense and simplicity of the gospel. The gospel smells of death to those who are perishing, but is the smell of life to life to those who know who David is. So what are we saying? And what are we asking? We are asking the question, what kind of gospel have we believed in? What company are we keeping? Are we with the company of the Philistines who only see Sloba on David? They don't see the glory of David. They don't see, they don't know that David is king in waiting. Does our gospel have foolishness in it? Does it have slobber in it? The gospel of free and sovereign grace has slobber. It does not look that attractive. It is unbelievable that God would save a sinner that way. The problem with the majority of the world is that they want a clean, shaven gospel. A David without a beard. A David, because a beard is hard to clean once the slobber goes in. So they want a, a shaved David who is easy to clean, clean up David, <laughs> so that he becomes obvious to everyone. No. The world wants a gospel that has many people in it and that makes us relevant in some way. But once you come to Christ, once you come to the gospel of Christ, you realize we have to decrease and he must increase. And many are stumbling at this rock of offense. Why? Because of the slobber. But it is this David with slobber who said to his men, stay with me, stay with me. Why, David? Because you shall be safe with me even in my, even with my slobber in the cave of Adullam. Because when he left Gath, guess where he went? He went to the cave of Adullam. And all his men followed him into the cave. The cave of refuge. It is the David of little stature, despised of men. This little boy, good looking boy, but who wielded the choice stone that slew Goliath. This David who preached the gospel with a sling and a stone. This same David who caused the death of Ahimelech to end the priesthood of the law. This David who said this. First, first Samuel 22. 22 to 23. And we'll finish in the next two minutes. The Lord winning. So David said to Abiathar, I knew that day when Doeg the Edomite was there that he would surely tell Saul, I have caused the death of all the persons of your father's house. Stay with me. Do not fear. For he who seeks my life seeks your life. But with me you shall be safe. He who seeks my life seeks yours too, but with me you shall be safe. David takes responsibility for bringing an end to the city of priests. Doeg killed 85 priests and 86 including Ahimelech. He destroyed the whole city. He killed the animals, the children, everything he destroyed single-handedly. And David comes and he says, put that charge on me. I'm responsible 
for the end of the priesthood of Ahimelech and his family. It's Christ who is saying, I am responsible for the end of the law. Because Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So let us be careful not to stumble over the rock of offense. And we'll keep preaching this gospel that is slobber in it. <laughs> for the purpose that those who have eyes to see and ears to hear will come to David at the cave of Adullam. And many will oppose it in one way or the other. And some may oppose it as to put stumbling blocks even to my own trying to bring the message. In one way or the other, they may not be aware of it, but God knows. And they will stumble in the weakness of the vessel because people are not that spiritually astute. So they'll make judgments and they'll think they'll lay some stumbling blocks, hoping that I'll trip over it. But if Christ is the one who is preaching this gospel, there's no one who's going to succeed. It may appear for a minute that they may tarnish, they may find a way to discredit what I may be teaching, but they can't stop it. <laughs> Everybody has tried to stop it. They can't. It never, nobody can ever stop the gospel of Christ. It keeps going. His apostles have been beheaded. Christ himself, they thought they were getting him, but they were accomplishing God's will. But the testimony that we have to have, every one of us, and my goal with every teaching is for you to come out saying, I know whom I have believed. You have to know. We don't waste time. We preach Christ. You have to know whom you have believed. Know this, that the one that you have believed has slobber on his beard. He is not the kind of guy that everybody runs to. He is not that attractive. But his people know that is him. They are not ashamed of him. So Apostle Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not. Because it is the power of God unto salvation. So we preach this David, who is the insane man, this madman, that I just said, no, I won't let this man into my house. But we will let him into our house by his grace. Because he has chosen us. And we know this about him. He slew his tens of thousands. And that is our hope. And we praise God. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the gospel of grace. The gospel according to David. What a glorious gospel. That you would hide this gospel even in the feigned madness of David, even in his slobber, even in the simplicity of the stone and the sling to take down Goliath. Lord, we pray that we also, like David, would come in the strength of the name of the Lord and by faith alone. And not try to work our way into taking Goliath down, but to only rest in what Christ is accomplished in the simplicity of the sticks on which he was put on. <laughs> Where he said, when I have been lifted up, I will draw all men. We thank you, Lord Jesus. May you be with your people as they go out. May you bless the ears of those who shall listen, those who are far, as many as have been appointed to it. We pray and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.